Hi guys, this is Dawn from 451. Thank you for joining me today. For our last episode this year, I wanted to talk to Victor Ho, my classmate. When I asked him how he could be introduced, that's what he said. Education entrepreneur from Shanghai mainland China, into edtech, activism and intercultural communication, currently in the Master of Science of Smart EdTech at Université Côte d'Azur and a project manager at DNIC on workplace diversion and inclusion and several local NGOs on anti-bullying at school. Also, a language maniac with a sound business student background. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk to him was rather selfish. I spent almost two years living in China myself. And even though I didn't know anything about the superpower before moving there, my interest has been growing since. And the recent restrictions in education system in China, well, we will hear all about it from the horse's mouth. Enjoy. Hi, uh, Victor. It's uh, very good to have you today. How are you doing? Mm, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm currently here in Shanghai, mainland China. Okay. Okay. So can you um, can you tell us what uh, what you do? How you spend your days? What is um, your passion and your your occupation? Okay. Currently, actually redundant, more or less. I used to have my own institution specific in language, meaning English. We were targeting both uh, adult students and K-12. I used to be a project manager and tutor of an IELTS project and later to a kids team where my students varies from three years old to 10. 10 years old. Okay, so uh, we will uh, we will get back to that. But uh, firstly, I'd like to ask you what made you choose this um, this path of teaching. Having, from what I understand, you you mentioned um, an institution, but uh, I suppose that was um, a language school. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's actually a very interesting background story uh, because I. I didn't major in pedagogy or TEFL back in bachelor. I was actually a business student. So, but on the other hand, I tried to have an entrepreneurship with my friend since the very beginning about this language school project. Back then, the original idea was to have a like language corner where we also ha invite some of the foreign exchange students and foreign teacher. We have some discussion upon certain topics. And then later we, we feel like, okay, since it intrigues so many people, maybe we can turn it into a business program. Uh, yeah, that's how things get started. And during this progress, I, pr process, I really felt that I, I believe in the power of education. You know, the, the concept of empowering others, about spreading knowledge. I feel like, especially in uni, there are students from all different parts of China, different provinces, different, really different background where they come together. Uh, and then you see that sometimes it's not about the, the actual grade, how they do their tests, uh, decides how, they will, how their life path would be, but actually the knowledge they're outward on life and uh, to achieve this we can uh, how, how can i put it we, we like we started this language exchanging and language corner program and then we found that uh, not only does the students have uh, achieved their language influence and proficiency but also they totally infect their later choice about their life okay so, yeah. but correct me if i'm wrong it I think it was a very interesting aspect that you mentioned. It's not about um, it's not about a grade, right? When you spoke about this corner and and, and your language school, that your idea was that it actually broadens languages, broaden your horizon. But correct me if I'm wrong. I've spent almost two years teaching teaching in China, and the the impression that I got was that children are very much fixated 
on the grade that they get and not only children but also their parents this number is extremely important to them that is absolutely correct but i like to justify this factor because i i'm i'm here in shanghai i was born and raised in shanghai so that's actually a main factor because uh, as i said people from different provinces they have very different um opinion in education Uh, so this program in the very beginning, we we didn't start, uh, or our target groups are not those who are struggling with English, for example, or not struggling with language, but those who already want to know more, to explore more, to have, for example, like cultural elements, to be more authentic, you know, not um, not really aiming at those who are still struggling with CET exams, mm. for example. Okay. Um. But to be honest, I'm not. I wasn't being judgmental, uh, saying that you know children are are fixated and uh, on that grade, and and so are their parents. From from what I've gathered and from what I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the competition in Chinese universities is is harsh. It is. It is. How how should I put it? I would say it's a、um, complicated issue nowadays. Because on one hand, I would say students are doing that in an inertial, like they're taking the habits from the their high school, for example, because that's the only way they're、uh, they know their lives, right? They have been training to study, or like、um, to doing exams, to doing tests for like. More than ten years of their early stage of life, so many of them to have made to take on this habit. That's actually their comfort zone, from my perspective. Like they,、uh, many of the students, they actually now try to avoid getting involved in society, but instead they try to stay in campus to study as a way to avoid the actual pressure from society.、Uh, on the other hand, I would say it's because of the whole economic situation, because of COVID and many other factors. It's actually kind of difficult for students to find a work, to find a decent job, especially they want to survive in a metropolitan city like Shanghai. So that's one of the other reason they get harsh, as you said. But still, I would say that's a very primitive level because they still more or less focus on the exam itself, not really on the actual knowledge. That's one of the criticism of our. Uh, advanced education system because most of the students they don't really acquire or voluntarily try to acquire knowledge through the college or the university level study. And on the other hand, it is actually very very difficult for me to summarize the whole situation given we have such a huge population and、uh, again it varies a lot. From university to university, and from province to province. I, do you know what?、Um, I remember looking at graphs provided by PISA. This、um, and、ah. and I checked before、uh, I checked it before our interview. And、uh, yeah, China China is number one in reading, mathematics, and and science. So I do hear China being criticized in terms of education a lot in on Western media. But still, you guys seem to have, you know, the the best results. Um, your your number one in ranking,、uh, in these well, <laughs> essential skills, I would say. Yes, I'm actually very.、Uh, I'm actually very very relevant to the information you have、uh, mentioned about the PISA test because I was that generation. I was the one, like I was the grade where they took the PISA、really? test in Shanghai. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, back then we we so called claim we have the best、uh, basic education system in China、uh, in the world, according to PISA test, and it's actually true. So on one hand, I'm not against it. Also, I learned a lot of fundamental science and、uh, knowledge through this. A process through drilling, through dictations. I'm not denying the importance of it, because like back then I study history, we really have to remember a lot. So I do think it's necessary. But on the other hand, I guess the criticize a critical part of it is more involved in the project we are studying nowadays, like、uh, topics as、uh, critical pedagogy, 
really lack of it. What do you mean? What do you mean by cr- critical uh, critical pedagogy? Um, like several years ago, in the industry of education, there is a huge debate that whether Chinese students are lack of critical thinking and, and this kind of um, um, good qualities that we need in the modern society. Personally speaking, I. I totally agree with it, and it has much to do with our educational system. Relevant, going back to the topic I was mentioning, how do we teach our students, especially our our teenagers, that they are rebellious stage, right? We only tell them, okay, there is only one way, one correct way, you know, and the others are censored or they are they don't exist even. On the other hand, I believe, or I grow up in a way that okay, I get a lot of information from different aspects from the Western side, right? from all kinds of uh, media, mostly thanks to language, for example. I can heard uh, opinions from different sides. And through this process, I believe students can acquire the so-called um, critical thinking. Because, I mean, how can they be critical even they have no other opinions? Would you say that uh, this, this type of education system that you have now, as you said, there is just one way, right, of doing things, would you say that it's maybe based on a society model in general, the, the very clear hierarchy, let's say? I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, I had this conversation with many, many educators and uh, colleagues in this field before, where we're kind of terrified or we're worried because our society in general, not just students, not our offsprings, the society in general start to get um, constricted. There's a, there's a uniform model of what a good citizen, what a good student should be like, where the once you're deviated from it, you're kind of rebellious in a negative way. Again, I, I totally agree this has lost to do with the social ideology and our social structure. To be honest, um, before going to China, I think it was maybe three years ago. I can't. I can't even remember. But um, I didn't. I didn't know anything. Well, I would see some articles, and uh, you know. But once I moved there and I started reading more about China, I think it's a fascinating place. It, it's it's incredible and. Yes, we do. In um, we do have a lot of propaganda. Let's say in the West, that that was another thing that I realized when I moved to China. That yes, China does have propaganda, but so so does the Western world. It's not um... yes, exactly, exactly. So I'd say, I mean, I've also studied in the West in Europe before, and now even till now. So I say you're absolutely correct about the political propaganda or what's going on in the news. I mean, we have to be critical of it as well, um, especially from my perspective, because um, I can read the local news while receiving the international version or the so-called Western version of it. I can really see that sometimes it's really ironic how they try to present information in a very conflictive way. Still, I would say in terms of education, I'm not uh, really in line with the current uh, situation. Um, There there are absolutely the good side of it. Still, I I would really love to have a more equal or a more inclusive educational environment. That's um, what me and other colleagues are trying to do. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about the, the situation uh, right now that's been happening. I think it, it started. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it started back in 2016, maybe 2017. The whole thing, probably why why you are redundant, as you said. Yes, there are, there are many interpretations nowadays. It's also quite. Uh... <laughs> huge topic. It seems to me that China is taking things into their hands and they're trying to shift the society in, um, as you mentioned, to, to be people, to be these good citizens, right? And I, I think there are 
um, other things related to technology as well. But maybe let's uh, let's talk what's what's happening with with English. Okay, yeah, I'm actually very. I have much more to say about it, uh, especially I, I, I was um, I, I'm still I am an English teacher. I say it started with all the whole peaking nationalism nowadays. This is where uh, this is around. I think this much more severe by the impact of the uh, policy itself. Due to the COVID, the so-called mainstream media have created a really huge nationalism or so-called toxic patriotic uh, promotion here in China, where people no longer, I'd say people are becoming more and more close-minded and uh, xenophobic due to certain policies taken by the Western societies towards COVID. What do you have in mind? Yeah, like uh, take um, the state as an example, the media always targeting at the so-called uh, how evil the American way of democracy has lead their society, how many people have died due to their bad decisions, so forth and so forth. So Don't get me wrong, uh... I don't think that they're completely wrong about this. It is, it is. But the, the way, you know, they're trying, in, in simple words, they're trying to, even nowadays, I, I always receive message like how great China is, you know, and how evil America is. You know, everything sounds so cold worried to me, you know. That's a very bad way to think about it. And also, yeah, let's, let's go back to English. Because of this kind of nationalism, feelings of people, they no longer are willing to learn foreign language. Yeah, that, that really surprised me even back in uni. Like one of my roommates, he is a very, very typical example. Back then, First of all, he's not very good at English or any foreign languages. And he holds a very strong uh, reason for it. It's like, oh, I'm a Chinese. China's great. You know, we're the best country in the world. Why do we have to learn other foreign languages? I'm not going abroad or going to a foreign company anyway. So how long ago was that? How long ago were you in uni? Mm, not very long ago. I would say just years ago. Two or three years ago. Okay. Okay. So this it, it's already yeah it's already happening. happening. Yes, it's already mm -hmm. happening. And uh, for me, the most terrifying way is he's stating that opinion in a very aggressive way. You know that what really worries me back then. And now it's even more and more severe. And we can, as English teacher, we can feel that every day. Like in school, they are cutting out. Uh, the courses of English English classes in even primary school, and uh, even the other teachers in the primary school will tell the students, "Oh, it's not important to learn English." I have this case, like one of my baby, she's only grade in grade two. She comes to me and that, "Ah, oh, teacher, you know what? The other my Chinese teacher they told me that it's it's not important to learn English." Frankly speaking, at that moment, I don't know how to reply her. At all. And uh, ironically speaking, can you guess what courses replaced the English class back in school? I would like to... Okay, so I have two guesses. Either it's something about, let's say, socialism or China, or it's, uh, I don't know, robotics and technology. Uh, that is absolutely correct. The answer is politics, like Chinese socialism and this stuff. Back from grade one, yeah, it's very impressive, even for. for so how how long ago this uh, this started this replacing English with politics? Mm, the policy started since July. I mean, it it formally announced in July. I remember very correctly because that's the exact day we're holding the China TEFL assembly. So it's very very sarcastic because on one hand, you know, all the English teacher were gathering together talking about how. The future of TEFL would be in China. On the other hand, the, the policy came. And uh, I would like to mention a very interesting phenomenon during the policy, especially the implementation of the policy, because they're trying to promote the concept of holistic education. Uh, now the policy says, okay, maybe in the back way, we're, we're only making our students to perform good in the tests or exams that's not enough now we try to make we try to do a holistic education which sounds good right but even till nowadays nowadays almost the end of 2021 there's still no clear definition about what 
a holistic education is. On the other hand, they only say that, okay, what is illegal nowadays to do? It's illegal to teach listening, reading, writing, speaking, and calculations in private sector. <laughs> okay, so to, to translate that, uh, private sector are all these after-school Yes, extracurriculum language schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically, as you said, reading, speaking, reading, speaking, listening in foreign languages, right? And yeah. what else was that? Calculus? Yeah, so listening, speaking, reading, writing, and calculus. Calcul calculation uh, arithmetic and calculation okay yeah so what what i've read again because after being in china i got so enthralled in mm -hmm. in everything that i tried to keep updated on, on what's happening so mm -hmm. from from what i've read is that the idea behind this is that people who don't have money they mm -hmm. can't allow themselves or their kids mm -hmm. to go to these um tutoring to get tutors or to to get these extra curricular activities and and therefore the government decided to sort of banish these um, schools that actually teach things that are taught in school. Am I correct? Yes, that was the idea. On one hand, I'm actually rooting for it. I think it's the correct way to do. But yes. uh, on the other hand, I would still say they didn't try to do anything to improve the teaching performance back in school or anything to, to revise or reflect on our existing assessment system. They just cut brutally on the supply side that is now illegal. Right. So, I mean, the fact that English was replaced with uh, politics classes, I mean, I, th I think it sends a message, right? You, you make tutors illegal, uh, but then at the same time, you cut the number of classes. I mean, English, English is still taught in schools, isn't it? Yes, yes, it's still taught. Uh, in general, I would say the whole educational pro process was postponed. Like uh, by left, uh, they won't, I'm talking about Shanghai, okay? So they won't learn even alphabets till third, third grade or any other stuff. Okay. Yeah. So what, um, when, I, when I was in China, there were a lot of foreigners who, were, who came to China specifically to, uh. to teach English. And from from what I saw, was it uh, was it back in 2016 that um, China dis decided to have this two children policy? So, yes. When I when I came to China, I think it was 2016 or 2017. I saw so many pregnant women and so many so many kids running around. And uh -huh. the school where I was working, it was booming. So many children came to learn English, even children of um, like two-year-olds, you know, three-year-olds, very, very early. Yes. It, was, it seemed yes. like it was mm -hmm. one, one of the main things for children to learn. So how, mm -hmm. how does it look right now? If And I mean, so I suppose these are two questions, but... How how does what does it mean for business? What does it mean for economy as well as for children? I suppose that's those are very good questions. Actually, uh, let me answer them one by one. First, I want to discuss about the foreign teachers about their situations now. Uh, actually, also this is re relevant to COVID uh, because of the COVID in the very beginning uh, we lack of foreign teachers from all institutions, even the big companies, because they're no longer able to get in the border. And since the policy began, they become the sensitive topic as well. Firstly, for foreign teachers, uh, they have to be within the territory, to within the border to teach English. That's one of the main things. So the, all the online platforms are banned. And secondly, uh, all the... I'm very sorry, but were the platforms also banned before COVID uh, had started or...? No, 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 no. They are, they're actually very prospering and booming during that Okay, before, period. before uh, COVID hit us. Yeah, before and during COVID, actually. Mm, okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now it's banned. And secondly, all the Westerner uh, Western materials or textbook without the permission or without the uh, verification from the government are also banned. You are illegal to spread those here or using any uh, foreign material or systems in general. That's also a huge hit. Major publishers such as Oxford, Pearson, and National Geography are still under negotiation with the government, but it doesn't really look good. And lastly, uh, I also know many friends, especially if they're from um, Southwest Asia, like Philippines, Malaysia, they're no longer given working visa or denied working visa and expelled uh, during the past few months. Again, I, I would predict that in the future for teachers who want to teach English in China, it will be more and more difficult to acquire working visa or they are, have higher levels such as you have to have diploma specific in language teaching. So... Um, can you can you tell uh, more about the the process? I'm I'm very curious. So, how did it feel, and how did you deal uh, with the fact that you I suppose you had to close your school? Am I correct? Yes, yes. Uh, it's actually a very sad story. Oh, uh, in the very beginning, I was working in the adult department. I was mainly focus with the university student and adult students. And then in June, we opened a new branch uh, targeting at the K-12 kids. So I was designated to that program. So we opened a new branch and then we were hit like uh, a lot by the policy. How were you informed and uh, what was uh, what was the time frame given to deal with the the policies? Um, because the after the national announcement, everyone's waiting because every province or places have to localize that uh, policy in their own way or interpret in its own way. Actually, Shanghai is the mildest one, I'd say. In many other places, they they would just brutally ask the institutions to cancel or even arrest teachers. For us, again, back to your question, for us, the uh, the needs, the customer demands are still there. Both our teacher, uh, both our teachers, parents, and uh, even kids themselves, they want us to continue the courses because we were not, um, um, we, we didn't, try to make it in an old-fashioned way, like through drilling and teaching them grammar or tests. We try to make it uh, interactive and engaging enough. But on the other hand, uh, we have no other choices to close it down. So it's um, uh, it's a slow process um, because nowadays there's also policies at uh, institution. We cannot just claim that we're bankrupt. We have to either refound or through to, to, to finish the courses. You actually had the chance to finish the courses or? Uh, yes. So we, we officially announced the closure like two weeks ago. And uh, also back to your question, there are still demands. And uh, that, that's why I'm worrying because there's a solid, actually going to solidify the class. Like for those who still have the demands and they're wealthy enough, this will just turn into home tutoring. Is that legal? Yes, that's the gray area at this moment. By left, it's illegal, but who knows? There are some weird situations happening nowadays. For example, they are uh, in Shanghai, they're hiring nanny, nannies or babysitters. But for example, they have to be able to speak several languages or, you know, to have this kind of weird requirement as a nanny. So basically people are looking for ways to, um, to have access, secretly almost, have access to language learning from foreigners. Yes, and uh, 
but it's still risky because they have to bear the bear the fact that they can make it reported by the others. Because people people doing this, the the foreigners, they can't really have um, work visa, can they? Yes, that's that's the one thing. Another thing, the because of the competition within parents and the students. For example, if you are find out that you are secretly having tutors for your kids, you are highly likely to be reported. Yeah. But by law, let's say having uh, having private tutors that come to your place, that come to your home, it, it's as you said, it's a gray area. It's not it's not specified. Not yet, not yet. But uh, there um, there are some trends. Like back in uni, there's there used to be some uh, centers for students who want to make some allowance, right? They can choose to become tutors for kids. And those centers are also closed um, because of the college policy. How interesting. And uh, I suppose... Well, what is the the general feeling, let's say, when you when you talk to people, when you talk to parents? You mentioned that parents they they, they would like to continue. Mm-hmm. Are there any people, for example, like your flatmate, was it from uni, who say, "Oh, this is this is a great policy. That's exactly what we should be doing." There is an interesting phenomenon from my perspective. I can see that the the reaction from the parents are really, really polarized. Um, some of them become really anxious, mostly the middle-class parents. They became successful through study, through the knowledge they acquire. So they more or less benefit from the existing system, and they they want their kids to continue their path. But now, once it's blocked, they become super anxious, they still they are madly trying to find a way to having tutors to buying books and materials are still on the market. For example, on the other hand, the other there are some other parents they don't care at all. They start to I, I won't use the word to give up. Like they have a they take a very different attitude. Like oh I know you know our kids are not built up for study you know. So long as they can make a decent life, I don't care if they go to the high, uh, senior high school or go to the uni, I'm fine with it. It's super interesting to ob- observe this kind of parents. Several weeks ago, our government published a national statistics about how people feel, how parents feel towards this kind of new policy. Um, according to the results, the majority... <laughs> Of the candidates, they think it's a perfect uh, policy. Uh, I, I read that uh, report into detail. The interesting fact is that for those candidates who take part in the participants of the st- the polling, the majority of them didn't finish junior high school. So no wonder why they uh, think it's a good policy. Yes. Okay. Mm. But. I'm just curious. I know that um, quite a lot of um, students they they study hard because they want to go study somewhere abroad, especially the United States or or even Europe. Does that feel that this policy, this this recent policy, is going to prevent people from leaving and going to uh, let's say Western universities? That is a major concern as well. Again, this has much to do with COVID. Thanks to the exposure of our media, the um, many of the opinion towards the Western have changed a lot or deteriorated a lot. Um, I would say the market of studying abroad has also drastically reduced during the past three years. Because in the past, 60% of students, more or less, uh, who wants to go abroad, they're in an area like, I'm okay with going abroad, I'm also okay with staying at home. They're at that area. So after this situation, they no longer go, of course. For those who still would, they're like really determined to do so. Also, again, as you can tell, they are polarized. Uh, 
There is also an interesting news to mention. Our government, our customers are no longer issuing new passport、uh, without,、um, as they say, like necessities. So I would say that there is a trend that、uh, maybe in the future the the life of、um, foreign for students who study abroad will also change a lot. So it seems like it's these、uh, these new policies is just a piece. In a big plan for Chinese people、mm. um, of actually staying more in China, traveling less,、mm. and just getting less of that Western Western culture and and influence. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Like for now, everything needs to use VPN, right? And、uh, well, this this was true even back then. And、uh, I found an interesting phenomenon that all the news, especially the as you can see in the WeChat or in the mainstream、uh, media in China, is also blocked from the outside. Particularly in this education policy, I found that, like we heard、uh, about the. Western media reporting on this issue almost like months, two, one or two months later after the things actually happen. So that's also a surprise. I am fascinated to be honest because I know that films and books and and even magazines that were allowed to be imported、uh, into mainland China, they were.、Um, I I don't want to say heavily, but. Censored, right? So、yes. even if if there was um,、uh, if you went to 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 the cinema and you wanted to watch、um, some sort of Hollywood Hollywood mm. film, mm. you would see that some scenes are missing,、mm. meaning、mm. that they they were cut out.、Mm. So, but right now it seems like these things, books, and as you said, textbooks, for example, for English, they. They are being completely vilified. Maybe they are. They they're not allowed,、mm. right? Yes. So it seems like the trend is just making those restrictions even stricter, if、mm. I can say.、Mm. I've got、uh, another question for you in terms of technology. For a very long time, China was in the Western world seemed. Um, like this place with very cheap goods, you know, made in China. You know, you buy it.、Mm-hmm. You know, it's gonna, it might break in two days, and just you know something cheap. But it seems that China is trying to shift、uh, this、mm-hmm. image that you have in the world. And、um, in terms of of social media, I read that the government is also. Trying to make it more beneficial for children, so it seems that Western world is moving towards people, young people becoming influencers or、uh, you know musicians because they're so heavily influenced by by social media、um, and what they see there. Whereas China is moving quite in the opposite direction. What is what is the case with、uh, Douyin? Ah,、uh, with TikTok, right?、Uh, the TikTok.、Oh, personally speaking, I don't watch TikTok at all. <laughs> I'm kind of,、uh, I'm really against the short form platforms,、uh, even Instagrams. And、um, uh, on the other hand, it... sorry, is there is is there a reason for it? Why why are you against these uh, short uh, short videos? Ah,、uh, because I mean.、Um, As an educator, I found that that it has a huge influence on me and also on my kids, because it short it shortens our concentration span hugely. I observe in the、uh, metro once that、uh, everyone's watching TikTok, watching Douyin all the time, but like their their average second staying on one video was around like twenty seconds, and that's it. That means that people nowadays their concentration span is 
for adults is 22nd, and that's it. That, that has a really negative uh, impact on our society and on kids as well. I found that they start to have learn to have bad influence from you know learning um, bad uh, internet slang and uh, uh, having shorter concentration span. You have to use more stimuli to get them attracted. Okay, so I think that uh, these um, these government policies. You will tell me if uh, if my uh, if the news that I read. Um, are correct, but uh, it seems that the government shares shares your views. What is the deal with with TikTok, with uh, Douyin, and video games? Ah, <laughs> yes, yes, that's an interesting topic. Well, first of all, I'd like to clarify that the TikTok you are using abroad, like the TikTok uh, overbroad uh, abroad version, is completely a different app from Douyin here. How? It's like um, the the version abroad, like outside the wall, and the version inside the wall. They are not connected, actually. Right. Yeah. We don't. We don't see. We don't see Chinese uh, Chinese videos. True. Yeah. But is there anything else that is different? Basically, there are two communities, and you you can see them as two companies, basically. Yeah, yeah, and two apps, even though they both talk TikTok. Uh, and other, uh, in terms of short term, uh, short videos and video games there's a major there there's also a major policies recently two months ago i guess yeah two months ago there's now a ban on video games for kids below 18 years old so before they step into adulthood they are no longer to play video games on weekdays and only on weekends they are allowed to play for three hours at a certain period of time. How does that technologically? How does that work? You have to put your like ID number to verify your ID in your account. Yeah, basically that's how that work. And uh, of course, there are some gray area like people selling accounts on Taobao, and also students using their parents' ID, so on and so forth. But uh, according to the uh, the the analyze, well, because I come from the business background, I read more about the business impact. Uh, impact has much things to do with the game industry as well, because it's so capital inve- uh, intensive. Especially has things to do with big corporations like Tencent. I would say that's more related with the policy than the student themselves because parents or the government have been saying that the video game have a bad influence on kids for a really long time for decades but this is their first actual movement towards it so but when you say that it's more about the companies i imagine that it would actually well minimize the the influence of these huge of tech giants that you that you have like I don't know, even Alibaba. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the intention to, to minimize their capital influential, let's say. So does that mean that the, the government is taking more into their own hands? I would say so. Um, the, gen- the general trend is that everything nowadays related with foreign capital is super sensitive. Either to say in education, something related with education, related with games, those with kids, you know, those are highly sensitive. I can give you a, another example is that Dolingo now is also banned in mainland China for many reasons. Would you name a few? What What are the reasons? The two main... Uh, well, first of all, there's no official explanation why this happened. So there are some, only some local guesses. The first of all is, of course, it's because it's um, American company, so it's foreign capital. And also it has something to do with the ideology because it touches the subjects such as LGBT rights, about feminism and those kind of stuff, which are also super sensitive nowadays. So that's 
that's also a reason why even even feminism i mean i've i've known about um, lgbtq plus community it's not really accepted in in mainland china is it but uh, what is what is the deal with uh, with feminism feminism has also become one of the sensitive topic here especially in social media uh one of the reason is that because feminism has become the um the way how western western societies infiltrate our and try to tear down our country by many people really many people really believe in that and uh also the feminism take uh, interesting form here to uh integrate with our culture with our ideology so um some of them are not really feminism but more like uh women just want to have the rights but no responsibility movement you know so it's uh it's it's another sensitive topic issue and uh the government is trying to um uh, this way this kind of discussion like during the international women's day this year like all of the feminism society or group are like banned or they're not able to they're they're censored basically they cannot post anything they're not allowed to post anything what uh, let's say what are the slogans that feminists in in china use and as you said they're not considered to be uh real feminists no 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 i would say no matter whether it's real or not so long as you you mentioned the uh, keywords like rights you know equality democracy democracy those words are like taboo yeah you are be red flagging a minute i remember um, i've uh, i've read somewhere about um, the fact that even when this uh, two children policy was uh, mm. officially announced because china realized that the the population is getting older and older and it's 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 going to be hard to uh, to actually take care of of that old population right but it didn't really made a huge impact as as they had expected in terms of um birth rate um exactly do you think th- these two two issues about feminism and uh and the birth rate they they connected could be could be but i would say it's more from um, it's because of a more practical reason take shanghai for example many of the family they cannot afford to have another children given the pricing given the investment in education so that's why at the time of the three kids policy they think oh maybe one of the reason why our people doesn't give birth is because of the education expense is too high so now let's just cut it the demographic reason is also one of the interpretation of why our uh, our government try to launch this policy at this moment uh one more thing that um i'd like to discuss with you is corporal punishment in schools how uh, how prevalent is this is it still a, a common practice i would say no but again i cannot really promise uh, as far as i know corporate punishment is no longer quite common but another issue I've touched on is because I'm working with an NGO is targeting at school bullying. That's that's still quite ubiquitous and um especially based on factors as gender, you know, and uh anything that could make you different could become the reason why you are discriminated against. Sometimes it's not even from colleagues but from teachers or from school. So there's still much thing to do okay and what uh, china china is very well technologically advanced let's say i suppose also because of of certain policies right that you guys have uh-huh. in in terms of um technology but um how how is technology used in in education right now Uh, for example and i think maybe is there a difference or was there a difference in private sector and public sector 
They are, they are. But before we move on to that topic, I'd like to mention the, the diversity here. Again, my, my whole point of view was standing on the fact that I'm, I'm here in Shanghai, one of the most international and metropolitan city in China, not even one of the most city in China. So um, I've had, I attend one of the seminar the other day. It's about the policy, uh, the impact of the policy towards rural schools, where they, of course, they not, uh, they don't enjoy the educational edu uh, educational technology, but even like basic uh, teaching supplements. Like one of the interesting factor the teacher mentioned is that uh, because now the school are need to extend to six. What What do you mean to six? Like the school finish at six. In the evening. In the evening. And start at. Start at probably seven. And finish at six. Yes, that that's one of the current. Well, the the starting point was good because many people think that oh, uh, the parents don't have time to pick up their kids. You know, right. at four or three. Yeah. So, so the policy announced that the ask school to extend their teaching hours. And uh, and also there are rumors about canceling winter and summer vacations. <laughs> um, uh, but but still, uh, that was a very good intention in the very beginning, right? Uh, but for rural students, they have they face a very practical uh, problem. For example, uh, after if the school finishes at six, the the road will be dark. They need to walk dark in the mountains. The headmaster was trying to argue with the local government, like, can we finish school at five where students don't have to work in the dark? But the, the answer is no. So they they also have to accompany the, the policy. Is that the national policy? I think so. Also, as you can tell, because of the extension of school, it hits private sector like tutoring or ex extracurriculum industry a lot because students no longer have to or uh, can attend the school okay so and if the school starts at seven and finishes at six does that mean that they can't actually leave earlier like if they want can they leave the school earlier in some places they can, but it really depends on school and places. I remember there are some protests and riots back in Beijing because the, uh, the, the parents they demand the school to let them voluntarily pick up school uh, pick up kids at four or three. I, I don't remember, but there are some propaganda about that. But okay, so when you went to school, right? What time? What time would uh, the the classes finish? Four thirty. Four thirty. Five at senior high. That's to maximum. Would you have uh, classes until then, or would you just stay in school and do homework and be with friends? And you can do that. You can choose to do that to stay till six. I mean, but uh, that won't be. There won't be any teachers around. But now, like teachers are assigned to do so. Right. They have to stay in the classroom with students. That, uh, that is very, very uh, interesting. And I suppose if there are no um, extra extracurricular activities that people uh, were used to going to, it's, it's actually a, a, a pretty good solution Sorry, uh, to, to, just stay, uh, to just stay in school. But getting back to those extracurricular activities, what is... Um, English is not allowed, right? Languages are not allowed. What is allowed? What? You're absolutely correct about the guessing. So the the industry such as dancing, PE, drawing, they're now at, in the trend. They're really trendy now. Yeah, arts and PE. On one hand, I would say this is not a good trend. I don't think that uh, art education means holistic education. And uh, also, if if they became, they follow the old rules of those like subjects, uh, let's say like science or art subjects. So 
Um, in other words, if they fall back to the road of getting into exam or tested, so that's one just follow the old rule and the old routine, and people are doing that. And the second concern is that um, there's no limit. Once there's comparisons, there's competition. R- wealthy parents have think of some really, really fancy way, let's say, to equip their students with. Like, if, you're, if I'm wealthy enough, I can have my kids to have tennis, right? Then I can have my kids to have golf to have, you know, hockey, to have horse riding. So there, there's the sky's limit, you know? <laughs> That's a really, really vicious cycle, you know? And uh, the last concern is that also there's policy about those last months. It's just national announcement. It's not li- localized yet, but there's a sign. They are going to be regularized very soon. All, all the extra extracurricular activities. Mm, I think so. Yeah, but uh, there's, um, you know, there's sometimes some gray area. Do you think that at the very beginning of the policy, the implementation, many people ask, okay, so you've identified some of the areas that we cannot do. So what about, for example, drama? What about calligraphy? What about, you know, those areas? Can we do that? What about computer science? Can we teach kids coding? Is that allowed? You know, so there's no end about this discussion. It's very hard for me to to imagine what's uh, what's happening right now. But I suppose it's it's one of the reasons why China is so fascinating because it it doesn't play it doesn't play to the rules that we are using. Yes, yes. So so I would say it's also very anxious. For, for us in the industry in the past few months because we receive news and policies like almost every day. Mm. I remember one thing that I deeply remember about uh, working in China was that there would always be some sort of new policy coming out uh, that had to be implemented incredibly quickly like um i remember my boss who was also the um, the owner of the school she would be so frantic all the time she's like oh government is asking to do this now we bought this new building for this new branch but we can't use it because they changed the policy just a week ago and we can't do it so uh, sadly speaking it is true <laughs> it's true <laughs> And also, it's it's very hard for me to imagine all these. What is in the place of former English schools? Because when I when I was in China, English schools were pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like every every third building would have some sort of. You English mean school. like so? What is happening? Private. Mm-hmm. Private institution? Yes. Um, yes. So what's what's uh, are these just now sort of abandoned uh, places or? Yeah, um, I would guess so. Uh, many of the big names have slowed down. So what is some? Um, for example, um, if you don't mind, I'm I'm just curious what your plan is. Are you thinking about? Um, Maybe shifting from uh, from English, let's say, to 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 doing um, another type of of business. What uh, what do you have in mind? If you don't mind sharing. Sure. Um, at this moment, I've been recovering from the whole phenomenon, and uh, and also I I need to refocus on how I should do with my career, how I should do with the master program, and everything. Um, there are some potential areas. The first is uh, the educational innovation or ed tech in corporate settings. Um, there's many suggestions. They're reaching out to me that uh, saying that their company needs uh, educational technology, but the existing ones are not good enough. So that's one of the potential area. Uh, the other ones are more related with social enterprise. There are still company existing, 
but they are either MPO or social enterprise on specific uh, needs uh, with physically challenged students or um, in those areas. So I can also explore that. Um, and uh, lastly, I'm also available or thinking about moving to other countries if there are some company or, or job vacancy there. Yeah, I'm open to that um, choice as well. Interesting. And I suppose for um, for educational technology, from I have never been to Shanghai myself, but from what I've I've read about it and from the documentaries that I watched about it, it's um, it's a booming city full of uh, um, innovative technologies. And uh, would you say that it's a great place to be for educational technology? Or is the money not there? <laughs> it is, it is. I mean, as one who was born and raised here, I have a very mixed feeling towards this city. On the other hand, I agree with your statement that uh, it's very lively, it's technical, uh, like high tech, uh, the educational innovation and uh, enterprise, entrepreneurship is everywhere. Uh, on the other hand, the, the pressure, the living pressure here and uh, uh, the life pace here is also quite, um, how should I put it, like... Uh, uh, several weeks ago, I was, because I was redundant, I was doing some other jobs um, in some irrelevant industry. Um, I was not happy about it at all because of the high pressure of the work. And also every day when you walk in the street, you see so many people there, but you, you don't think many of them are happy or generally devoted to their lives. You know, that's one of the major difference when I found uh, when I was doing exchange back in Europe. Um, so I would still say there's opportunities. I like this city. And also I think no matter for locals or for foreigners, there are still plenty of opportunities to explore in the future. Um, but it, it, it won't be as that fluent as in the past few years because you have to be really dedicated to what you, what you believe in basically. And in t terms of educational technology, uh, probably we cannot uh, find more in the private sector, at least in the couple of, in the coming years, I would say. But uh, to, on the other hand, if you want to cooperate with the public sector, meaning in public schools or universities, you have to have some special networking to knowing other pe some people there. That would be one of the other problems. Mm, but still, there are some projects working on. Hmm. That's great. Okay. Um, is there um, is there anything else that you would like to to share with the people who are gonna be listening about? Um, maybe about the, the situation, maybe I haven't asked the right questions, maybe, you know, something is looping in your head that you, um, that you think is essential to I understand the situation. I hope, uh, during the whole um, discussion, I don't sound so cynical or too negative about the whole situation. Uh, I would try, I really like to prevent uh, to sharing a very subjective um, feelings towards it. But uh, on the other hand, as one who is in the situation, I cannot be that objective on that. That's, that's why I really wanted to, that's why I really wanted to talk to you because I thought who can describe the situation better? I mean, I think su subjective truths um, are also very important, you know, knowing how these things mm -hmm. affect um, in the past, uh, back to the very, very beginning, ask me why I choose the uh, field of education. Because back then, as a business student, the sky is limit. I can choose whatever industry I want to be. But by the end of the day, I choose education. Um, because I really, really believe in the power of um, of uh, intercultural communication, you know, like setting up 
bounds like what we are doing now and to spread knowledge to empower students to to explore uh, to open up their minds um i really believe in that's the tr- correct thing to do even given the current situation um i, I like to summarize this uh with the uh, with the comment I heard the other day from the educator seminar. Um, it's about the quality education. Think about the whole situation nowadays, no matter in Shanghai or in some rural area in China. We all face challenges, of course, especially in education. But I always think that kids are the last one we, we are the last one to suffer in all kinds of situations as a teacher i generally think so i i don't i want to preserve their generality uh their integrity their curiosity towards the world and mostly their faith toward the world a little bit longer so despite the whole current situation i still think there's much we can do there's much more enlightenment we can spread and also, especially in this kind of um, situation, the empowerment between teachers, between the educators themselves are also important so that we know that maybe the companies are no longer there, but people are still there. That's a very bright idea, uh, I would say. Okay, lovely. So to finish, uh, to finish our conversation, I would like to ask um, the last question that we ask uh, everyone that we interview. And the question is, if you could keep one single concept, idea, a thing, anything from, you know, from being burned or from being destroyed, what, uh, what would it be? What would you save? I would say the main topic of my life for the past two years since COVID was how to deal with risk and uncertainties. Like, I think that's the whole general topic the whole humanity have been talked about for the past two years, right? But even till nowadays, we probably do not face the uncertainties quite well. No matter it's from, uh, no matter it's uh, like a health crisis, or it's like a policy crisis or any other crisis you could imagine on an individual level or on a national level or on a mankind level. So I would say maybe that's what we need to what, what we need to learn from the whole situation that it's like uh, an internal topic that how we can deal with uncertainty and risks. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending. Thank you so much for having for me. Almost, uh, for spending almost one hour and a half talking about this extremely interesting and I think very important subject uh, nowadays. And I really hope that um, at some point we can uh, do this together and get some more um, insight and, and uh, updates on, on what is happening and uh, because China is um, is going to to stay and it's going to uh, to do things their way. So it's always very interesting. Victor, thank you so much. This has been our last episode this year. Thanks so much for staying with us. We've already been digging into some new topics and ideas for next year, and we're excited. If you like what we do, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at 451pod or LinkedIn. This would mean a lot to us. And also, if you have ideas you would like to share, don't hesitate to drop us a message. Happy holidays and see you next year.